good to be back here tonight. I'm thankful to be here, to be worshiping God with you. I'm thankful for the opportunity to share what I've studied and, and hope it's a benefit for you. One of my least favorite songs that we sing, we sang it this morning, All to Jesus I Surrender. And I don't like it because I don't like, it's not because of the melody, it's not because I just don't like it, but it's because it's convicting to me. A lot of times, I feel like instead of saying all to Jesus, I should say some to Jesus. Or most to Jesus, I surrender. Because there are areas of my life that I struggle to entrust with in, in His care. There's areas that I have uh, done well at, and I've given to God. Let Him be in control, but there are definitely ones that I struggle with. And I think if we're all... Uh, careful to examine ourselves, we'll see that we struggle. So have you ever asked yourself, why do I struggle to obey God? Why are there these few particular things that just seem to be there all the time, always causing me to stumble? This, more, or this evening, I want to examine the relationship of how we trust Jesus and how it's connected to our obedience. And I want to get our text from Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. This is where we'll be getting our main text. This is one of the uh, passages I remember as as a kid, my parents wanted me to study and to memorize. And I did that. But the older I get, the more powerful these words are. And so we're going to get our text from Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Where the Bible says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. I think there's very powerful words for us to consider when it comes to the relationship of trusting and obeying God. And so we're going to examine these in three different, three different phrases. Number one, trust in the Lord with all your heart. We need to trust God in all things. Number two, leaning on our own understanding. God gives a warning because when we lean on our own understanding, it leads to disobedience. And then finally, He tells us to acknowledge Him in all His ways. So how do we acknowledge Him always? How can we grow in our ability to acknowledge Him? So let's begin in our first point, trust God in all things. The faith that God wants is not a faith based on just words. The kind of faith that God wants us to have is not just based on facts, not just a book, not just a set of religious values or principles or wisdom, but the faith that God wants us to have is found in a trusting relationship with God. I know uh, last year I gave a sermon that was in large part built on Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. I use it a lot when I'm discussing the Scripture with people, but it's powerful. It says, But without faith it is impossible to please Him, for he who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. This verse says that you and I can please God. And it tells us how we please God. We have to have faith. We have to have faith. Now what does it mean to have faith in God? If we look at the Strong's Concordance, the word that's translated to faith in the New King James, 
is the word pistis in the Greek. And if you look at the definition, it talks about persuasion, talks about credence, moral conviction of religious truth, or the truthfulness of God, or the religious teacher. And it talks about relying. So faith is not just something that we just do in our minds, but it's something that we are experiencing. We read, we study, we experience a relationship with God, we see other people's relationships with God, and as we examine those things, we are persuaded. This is not something we do in just our mind, but it's built in a relationship with God. Now, a lot of people want to distinguish between what, believe, uh, what believing is and obedience. It's one thing to believe something, and it's another thing to trust. And this is the best example I've, I've heard of that, okay? How many people believe that airplanes can fly? You don't have to raise your hand. A lot of people believe that airplanes can fly. But are you willing to trust that airplane to get on that airplane and allow that pilot to take off. It's one thing to believe, but it's another thing to go all in and to really put your trust in that. That's the kind of trust that God wants us to have. And it's built not just on facts, books, but it's built on a relationship. Now he goes on to say, the one who comes to God must believe that God exists and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. God wants us to pursue a relationship with Him because we know He is good and we know that He loves us. So as we look in the New Testament, we see the example of Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul was a Jew. He persecuted the church and he became a Christian. And he encouraged others to spread the gospel. And in this verse in particular, in particular, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, Paul is encouraging Timothy to stay steadfast in his work of the gospel. Stay steadfast in the work. And then he uses himself as an example. And he says, For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Paul knew God. And he says, I know whom I have believed. It's not about just a book. It's not just about facts, ideas, principles. But he knew God. And based on his experience knowing God, he was persuaded that, that God was able to keep whatever that Paul had given him. So Paul was willing to give God what? His life. His time. His focus. His energy. Everything that he had done before, he gave it up. And he said, this is what I'm going to give to you, God. And ultimately, he trusted God with his soul. And it was all built on a trusting relationship. Paul's trust led him to obedience. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 8, Paul, writing to the church at Philippi, says, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. So in his mind, he recognized that these things were worthless to Christ. And this led him to do what? To give those up. In verse 8, Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Paul's faith in Christ and the value of a relationship with Christ was not just something he did in his mind, 
but it came out in his actions and in his life. And he suffered the loss of those things because he weighed the cost. I could keep what I have and I could continue to be a Pharisee of the Pharisees and I could continue to have my social status. I could have an easy life, but then I won't have Christ. And so Paul had to weigh the decision. And for Paul, all those other things were worthless if he could not have Christ. So he was willing to give those up. And the same should be for you and I today. The kind of faith that that we see in the Bible, and the kind of faith that Paul had, is a biblical faith, it's trust, and it produces obedience. As we went through the book of Romans, this uh, phrase stood out to me. In Romans chapter 1, verse 5, Paul, in the introductory part of his letter to the Romans, says, Through him, through Christ, we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. God wants us to obey, not just because he said. God wants us to obey, uh, not going through the motions. God doesn't want us to obey with a uh, begrudging heart. But God wants us to obey because of our faith that he is good, that he is loving, that he is faithful, that he is worthy of our obedience. It's a trust. So, the question that we have today is, am I like Paul? Do I have the kind of trust in God that Paul had? Now, when we're weighing decisions and we're weighing the kind of things that we could give up for Christ, the first thing that we decide is, okay, our eternity. Do I want to give Christ the responsibility and the control of where I spend eternity? And we weigh those decisions. So over here we have heaven. We have God. We have eternal joy and peace and all the wonderful things. And on the other hand, we have eternity without God. Misery, pain, suffering. When I weigh those decisions, I'm going over here real quick. There's nothing about that that I, I want. And so I'm willing to give God control of my life, my, uh, of my soul and my eternity. But what about the smaller things? If we're willing to give God control over our soul and over our eternity, shouldn't we be willing to trust Him with smaller things in our life? For example, am I willing to trust God when it comes to conflict in in my relationships with other people? Or do I choose to take control because I trust myself? As I look back in my marriage to Bethany, I think I talk about this a lot too. Uh, our marriage is not, it's not just horrible all the time, but I, it's a good example. So, in the past, there have been times where words were said that I took offense to. And they were not necessarily intended bad, but it just cut me the, and, uh, it just cut me the wrong way. And so in that moment, who do I trust? Who do I trust? You know, God says, over here, He says, a soft answer turns away wrath. And He says, husbands, love your wives. And He says, to put others first. But whenever I'm feeling bad, maybe make them feel the pain I'm experiencing. 
And maybe my wife will say nicer things to me if I say hateful things. That doesn't make any sense, does it? But yet I've tried that. I've not been willing to trust God in moments of conflict in my marriage. What about trusting God when there's a party going on on a Friday night? God says to pursue sobriety, to make wise choices, and He warns about the dangers of getting drunk. The world says it's fun. Everyone does it. Go for it. It'll be a blast. And if you don't participate, you're a weirdo or you're odd. I remember in high school, I had a teacher that talked about her experience. And she said, high school and college is the time to enjoy life and then you could grow up. And I thought it was crazy that she said this to a bunch of high school kids. But that's just the way the world thinks. So who do I trust there? Do I trust God? Or am I willing to trust my own ideas, my own wisdom, and hope that everything will be okay? Jay talked about some of the things that go on when people bring in alcohol into their lives. What about when there's an opportunity for worldly gain and we have to make spiritual sacrifices? What does God say? God says, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. But, what does the world say? Get what you can, eat, drink, and be merry. Get what you can. Who do we listen to? Who do we trust? Do we trust God or do we trust the wisdom of the world? What about when becoming or being a Christian is inconvenient and when there's persecution? Are we like Daniel, who says, I'm going to pray to God and I'm going to continue to do the right thing no matter what the cost? Or do we put aside spiritual things whenever it's going to cause us pain and suffering? What about in our relationships? Are we willing, are we not, not willing to let God have control over our relationships? And so we don't talk about spiritual things with our friends or our coworkers, our neighbors, because it might cost us later on. Who do we trust? Do we trust the, the wisdom of the world or do we trust the wisdom of God? Do we have the kind of trust that Paul had, that he was willing to do anything for any cost, any time, and anywhere, no matter what it was? Do we have the kind of trust in God knowing that His way is better? We need to have that kind of trust. Because when we don't, our distrust in God leads to disobedience. And that's why in this verse he says, lean not on your own understanding. To lean means to, to put all your weight on that. And we see trust falls, right? A trust falls when someone closes their eyes and they begin to fall back and the people behind them hopefully are trustworthy to catch them. We don't need to lean into our own wisdom, because it's going to cause us not to stand, stand firm, but it's going to cause us to stumble. And we see the connection of dis, distrusting God to disobedience in the Bible. In Hebrews chapter 3, verses 16 through 19, the writer of the Hebrews says, For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? 
So he's referring to the story of Israel after Israel came out of Egypt. And he says, Now with whom was he angry for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter into his rest, but to those who did not obey? So he calls the children of Israel two different things. Those who sinned and those who did not obey. What was the cause of that? He tells us in verse 19, so we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. We reflect on that story and we remember what happened when the children of Israel camped outside of Israel. And they send in the spies and the spies come back and the two spies said, let's go get them. God is on our side. And the ten other spies said, they're too great. They're too mighty. We can't take them. And the children of Israel chose to go along with the ten spies. Even after all the things that God had done to demonstrate His power over Egypt, over the Red Sea, and in the wilderness, and yet the children of Israel still did not trust God. And that was frustrating to him. It caused him to be angry. But it all, their sin and their disobedience all was rooted in the fact that they did not believe Him. And the same is true for us. And so God warns us not to trust ourselves. And Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. You know, there's a lot of things in our society that people preach. Things that are contrary to the will of God. But they do it out of a good heart. They think that they're sincere, and they think those things will fix our society. Equality. Women's rights, the right to choose, and uh, on and on and on. Those things are contrary to the will of God, and people preach those thinking that our society will be better, but in reality, it is the way of death because it is contrary to God's law and God's wisdom. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 15 says, Good understanding gains favor, but the way of the unfaithful is hard. We as Christians can make our lives a lot more difficult when we choose not to trust God and we choose to go the way of the unfaithful. And we can make our lives a lot more difficult. And in fact, when we see examples of this in the, in the Bible, there's always those three things. Distrust leads to disobedience, and disobedience leads to pain, to suffering, and to death, just like Jay talked about this morning. So let's think about these examples. Adam and Eve. In Genesis chapter 3, they were presented with a choice. Now God said, the day you eat of that fruit, you will surely die. And as they lived in that paradise, guess what? They had the most wonderful blessings. They got to walk with God. They got to talk with God. The curse of the ground had not taken place yet. But along comes Satan... And he says, go ahead, have it, because you will be better off. You can be like God. You don't have to submit to Him. You don't have to serve Him. Partake of the fruit, and you will be like God. Where did Adam and Eve choose to go? They went the way of Satan. They trusted Satan over God. And what happened? They were exiled from the garden, and all the rest is history. Because they did not trust God. What about Abraham and Sarah later on in Genesis chapter 16? God makes a promise to them saying that Sarah would bear a child and this would be the child of promise. 
Abraham and Sarah, what do they do? They wait, and they wait, and they wait, and God's just not getting it done, right? And so they improvise, and Sarah says, Hey, why don't you take my servant, Hagar, and just use her to bear a child through me? They had no consideration for Hagar. They didn't care what she thought about it, but she was Sarah's servant, so take her, use her, and she can bear a child through me. Abraham and Sarah did that. Hagar bore a child, and Sarah despised her from that moment on. Sarah invited this into her own life. She was miserable because Hagar bore a child. They chose not to trust God, but they chose to improvise and try to help God out, and it led to suffering. Samson. We read the story of of Samson in Judges 13 through 16. Samson was prophesied to to begin the deliverance of God's people from the bondage to the Philistines. And Samson did that at the very end of his life. As he stood between those two pillars, he prayed to God and asked God to give him that strength once more, and he accomplished his Uh, what God had intended for him to do. But you know what? In between that prophecy and his life, at the very end, Samson made a misery of his life. Samson loved chasing women. He loved playing games with the enemies of God. And it led to all sorts of problems in his life. Things that he could have avoided if he would have been a man that was faithful to God, a man who was godly. He could have did things a lot differently, but he chose the way of the transgressor. He stepped out of the boundaries of God's laws, and he made himself, or his made his life a lot, uh, a lot worse. David and Bathsheba. David was a man after God's own heart, and he was a faithful man, a man who trusted God. We remember as the Israelites cowered with. Goliath standing on the other side of the valley asking someone to come fight. They were all scared, and David trusted God. And he said, God will give me the victory. But later on, as David was a king, he was presented with this temptation. As he saw uh, Bathsheba, he could have reflected on what God had said about marriage, about uh, the bed, But instead, he thought, I could have a really good night. And I could take another man's wife and use her for my pleasure. And after uh, after she became pregnant, the temptation to follow God or not to follow God, to trust God or to trust the other way, he chose to have that man killed to hide his sin. And the misery and the pain and the suffering that existed for Bathsheba, for Uriah, and for David's family all could have been avoided if David would have put his faith in the Word of God and what the, what the Word says about lust and about the marriage bed. He invited, that, uh, he invited the suffering and the pain and the death into his life when he chose to not trust God. Another example, the rich young ruler who came to God. He was a religious man. He was very devout. But when it came to the decision, am I going to embrace Jesus and sacrifice my possessions or am I going to embrace my possessions and sacrifice Jesus? 
The choice he made was the possessions. Those were more important to Jesus at that particular moment. Now, we don't know the rest of his story. Maybe he clung to those possessions till the moment he died and he had a treasure chest full of stuff next to his bed as he passed away. Or maybe he repented of that and he saw the value of Christ. But in this particular moment, what did he trust in? He trusted in the riches. What about Peter in Matthew chapter 26? When Jesus was on trial and he was in the process of being crucified, what was Peter doing? He was trying to fit in with the crowd. And he began to curse and he began to say all sorts of nasty things because he didn't want people to associate him with Jesus. Now, all of these men and all these women and plenty of others that we look at on this list, these are religious people. These were children of God. These were people like you and I striving to serve God, striving to do the right thing, trying to give God control of our life. But there were little bitty things or things that they thought were little that they refused to trust God in. And it brought a bunch of misery into their life. And you and I can do the same thing today if we allow sin to have a stronghold in just a small portion of our heart and in our life. That sin will grow and it will, it will grow and it will try to wreck as much havoc in our life. So we see how all of these situations, it all goes back to not trusting God's way and choosing to go our own route in order to enhance our lives. But we need to remember that God's way is always best. In Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9, God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. I understand this so much more now that I am a, a dad. I look at my kids and they want to shove a fork inside an outlet, and I think, they are crazy. But I know the pain and suffering that comes from well, I actually don't know. I know about it. I haven't experienced it. But I know how foolish of a decision that is. And I tell them don't do it, and the temptation's there. I tell them not to run in a parking lot, and as soon as you get out of the car, that's exactly what they want to do. I see the danger, and I want to protect them. And I see this in my kids, and then I look in the mirror, and I realize that God does the exact same thing with me. He's put His laws in place for my protection. He wants me to follow His way, not because He's anti-fun, because He's anti-pain, anti-sorrow, anti-shame, anti-guilt. He doesn't want me to experience those things. And that's why He's given me these laws. And if we recognize that, and we have the humility, and begin to put our trust in God, our life will be better. We need to trust that God knows best in all things when it comes to our families and our marriages. When it comes to sin. When it comes to the church and organization of the church. When, the, when it comes to the doctrine that we teach and we practice. When it comes to our relationships, our money. God knows best. And when we choose to improvise and to do our own thing, we're inviting trouble and chaos. So distrust leads to disobedience. So as we move into verse 6, it says, In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your path. 
That word acknowledge means to know or to consider or to think about. So as we go about our lives and as we think, as we make decisions and we're at work and we're at school and we're doing all these things, every way that we go, we need to acknowledge God. And if we do that, He was going to direct our paths. Is He going to direct it into problems and pain and suffering? No. He's going to direct it away from those things. So how do we acknowledge Him always? We need to ask God. Number one, we need to ask God to help us where we struggle to trust Him. I love the phrase of this father in Mark chapter 9, verse 24, as he brings his child to Jesus and asks Jesus to heal. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Jesus said, if you believe, the child will be healed. And the father said, I believe, but there is some doubt there. Help me with that doubt. It was a humble admission that there were still things that he needed to work on. And the same should be true with us. Those areas where we struggle to, tr to trust God, we need to ask Him to help us. Number two, we need to know Him better. And the way we do that is through study. Romans 10, 17, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Many of you I've known for a long time, all my life. I will give you the keys to my cars, the keys to my house. I'll give you my phone, my wallet. But I don't do that with people I've seen in the store that I've never met before. And it's all about the relationship that we've had through the years. It's all about the time and the experience. And the same should be true with God. We will never be able to trust Him very well if we never spend time studying His Word. But as we study it... and our relationship with Him will grow. We'll see the way that He is trustworthy, He is faithful, He is good in all situations. So we must make studying a priority in our life in order to acknowledge Him always. We need to do a taste test. <clears throat> Psalms chapter 34, verse 8 says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in Him. Sometimes our children have an aversion to eating the food that mom makes. And they'll say, I don't like it. And they've never tried it. So our rule at our house is, is you have to try it first before you say that you don't like it. And if we never try it, we, we won't know when it comes to our relationship with God and trusting Him. If we're always doing things our own way and we never let Him have control, we won't get to experience the goodness of God. But the psalmist says that we need to taste and we need to see that the Lord is good. And once we do that, we're going to be blessed people for, trust, for trusting in Him. And then finally, we need to embrace His yoke. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Jesus says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's kind of a, a puzzling thing for Jesus to do. He's giving an invitation to all those who are weary and heavy laden. And what is that invitation? The invitation is to put on a yoke and to get to work. Why, is this or why does Jesus make this invitation? I think it is because whenever we choose 
to, to do something else, it's a struggle. The way of the transgressor is hard. But when we choose to embrace the yoke of Christ, our lives get a lot easier. Because Christ isn't just wanting us to serve Him, but He is willing to serve us. And He's a good master. He says that His yoke is easy and His burden is light. He's a trustworthy master. He's an easy master. And the more that we trust Him, the more we give our lives to Him, the better our lives will be. Jesus says to take our, or His yoke upon us. Or he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Once again, Jesus says we need to learn from Him. As we learn from Him, we will begin to think like Him. We will begin to act like Him. We will begin to talk like Him. We will begin to value things like Him and trust God more and more. And that should be the, the kind of things that we do. <clears throat> so trust and obey. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. We need to trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct your paths. In verse 7 he says, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil and it will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Every single time I've chosen to trust God it's been a blessing to me. Never once has He steered me in the wrong direction. Every time that I choose to do my own way and I choose to go my own path, there's been problems. When we choose to trust in Him and we choose to obey Him, our lives will be better. He will direct them and He will direct them to good things. And it will be a blessing to us spiritually, but not just spiritually. Notice what He says in verse 8. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Not only will it be good for us spiritually, but our lives will be better even physically. So my encouragement to us is that we trust and obey God. And look for those areas where we're refusing to trust. I want to close tonight with Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 5-8. through 8. And I want to notice the contrast of these two kinds of people. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord, for he shall be like a shrub in the desert, and shall not see when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched place in the wilderness in a salt land which is not inhabited. When I look at my life, that's not what I want. I don't want to be a shrub planted in the desert that's struggling and just barely getting by. But when we choose to trust in ourselves and not to trust in God, that's what we're inviting into our lives. The other man in verse 7 is, a, is the man who, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river, and will not fear when heat comes, but its leaf will be green, and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. So which plan are we tonight? Are we more like the shrub, or are we more like that tree? Let's examine those areas in our lives that we refuse to give God control, and let's trust and obey Him going forward. <clears throat> We're going to offer an invitation at this time. If you have a spiritual need that the congregation here can help you with, let it be known how we, how we can help you as we stand and sing the song that's been selected. <clears throat>